0: Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show with Bill Simmons and Kevin O'Connor, part two of our breakdown of the NBA on the Ringer podcast network brought to you by SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons podcast. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets, use promo code BSNBA. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. On my podcast, Paul Thomas Anderson. This week, I'm also on the One Shining podcast with Mark Titus and Tate Frazier. I don't know why we're doing so many podcasts. I hope people are listening. Are people listening to podcasts this week, Isaac? Isaac's nodding. All right. Kevin O'Connor, we talked about the under 500 teams in part one of this. Basically, I just brought up a team and we said the first thing that came to our mind. And now we're going to do the over 500 teams, of which there are a lot. There's a lot of teams in that uh, 17 and 16 type of range, 18 and 15, 19 and 14. The first one, the Miami Heat. Miami. 17 and 16. Here's my one thing for them. And I think I'm biased because I watch every Celtic game. And for whatever reason, Miami is a nightmare matchup for them. Miami is a team that if you catch them on the right night and you were with somebody who just woke up from a coma four years ago and they watched a Miami Heat game with you, you could convince that person that they're one of the four best teams in the league. But if you catch them on another night, same situation, you could convince that person that they're one of the four worst teams in the league. They're the highest ceiling, lowest basement team on league pass from night to night. And they have all these guys that I kind of like. You know, who can on the right night look great, but they can't seem to get all of them humming together. Now, Whiteside's been hurt. That hasn't helped them. But uh, I have my eye on them as as a potential climber as this season goes along. What's your one thing about Miami?
1: Kind of along the same lines where you say they have the highest ceiling, lowest floor. I look at that team and there's not a lot of guys that I love. I look at the money, you know, the money some of these guys make. Um Tyler Johnson making 19 million next season when his contract goes Oof. up just seems insane to me. Yeah. Um it was. some Josh Richardson making 9.4 next season goes all the way like up him. to 11.6 and that's not a lot, but he hasn't developed like you would have hoped for after his impressive rookie season, so it's like they have they have some expensive guys who really aren't players that you're in love with. Kelly Olenek making eleven million next year goes up to twelve by the end of the contract.
0: I don't know. I mean, they have some likable guys, but not a lot of lovable guys. Whiteside's the X factor for them because he's the one guy they have who has a chance to make an all-NBA team. Is Justice Winslow what's his ceiling to you now? If you had to say, here's the best case scenario for Justice Winslow's career, what is it?
1: Well, I think pre-draft, it would have factored in the improvement of the three-point shot. Um, and this year, he shot 39% in 27 games. Right now, he's out. But I think if he were to theoretically sustain that, I think that, that would be very, very good for him. At the same time, I'm not sure his game overall has developed at the level that you would have hoped for. I, I kind of saw him prior to the draft as someone in the mold of a Draymond type versatile defensively, handles the ball offensively, can spot up and hit threes at a solid level. But he hasn't really at all gotten to that level. I say that, but on the other hand, you can say that Winslow, maybe he's not in the right situation right now where they have a dominant rim protector and Hassan Whiteside. Maybe in a different situation, if Winslow's playing more, more small ball five, he does more like resemble the player um, that I just described. So with him, I do think there's still a high ceiling but I wonder if the situation and the circumstances just aren't perfect for him to get there because Draymond fell into a perfect situation for him to become the player that he's become. Um, And situation, environment, and opportunity factors so heavily into success where I wonder if Winslow just hasn't really fallen to the right situation in addition to his shot not developing to the level that it's needed
0: to. I wonder, like you, if he's on the right team because there's ball-dominant guys on this team or guys that for them to succeed, the play has to run for them. Like Wayne Ellington, somebody who's not ball dominant, but when he's out there, they run him around circles, a little JJ Redick style. But uh, Dragic and and Deion Waiters are, you know, they like to have the ball. They like to do stuff with it. Even somebody like Kelly Olenek, like is he's <laughs> his really, his, his best attribute is to shoot. And I would love to see Winslow on a team where he was able to, like if we were able to find out if he was more of a playmaker, because I have no idea. It's a, he's kind of in the corner.
1: I should have put him on my article on Tuesday with guys I would target in and trade. Winslow is another guy that I would put on there where I would be willing to bet that perhaps in different circumstances he would look a lot better than he does in Miami. And that's not a knock against Miami. It's just, it's just their given situation with the players that they have. that yeah. The opportunity just hasn't been there.
0: Yeah, and that's the NBA. Sometimes you just land on the wrong team. I'm not giving up on him. We have three other 17 and 16 teams to run through. Portland, 17 and 16. I think Lillard finally makes the all-star team is 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 my note for them. I've never been a gigantic Lillard fan. And I always wonder, like, what's your upside if he's your best and highest paid player? But I have liked how he's played this year. And I think for what he is, this is the best possible version of him. And I think he's going to make the all-star team. What's your one thing for them?
1: Zach Collins, uh, he was a total zero early in the season, but he's been playing a, a lot more lately and he's been a lot better. Um, hmm. Good example of a young player where you can't overreact at all to the first 20 games um, because they traded 15 and 20 for him and he's looked better as of late for Portland.
0: So you would take him over Donovan Mitchell? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the New York Knicks are 17 and 16. It's a feel-good team. My thing for them is Enos Cantor. And uh, I can't remember if I said this last week on the Ringer NBA show, so I might be repeating myself, but I was really frustrated last postseason when everyone was telling me that Enos Cancer couldn't play in any of the playoff games. And meanwhile, they're just getting waxed anyway. I just feel like there's always going to be a place for somebody who can rebound and score. And if he has deficiencies on the other end, fine. Lots of people have deficiencies. When you're in a situation like OKC was last year where they barely had enough competent rotation guys to make it in a playoff series, to hear them basically say Enos Cantor can't play seem crazy. I think anybody who is capable of what he did on Christmas Day with the 3122, it's just hard for me to digest it. That guy couldn't play in a playoff series. And, you know, I think sometimes we overthink it with these guys. If if you have one or two gigantic skills and your team's not that good, you got to figure out how to maximize those one or two gigantic skills. The Knicks, it's a perfect fit for him. We talk about bad situation for Winslow. Him playing with Porzingis is a really nice fit. Uh, he feeds off the crowd. The city's right for him. The chemistry in that team's really good. And I like watching him, and I'm glad he's on the right team. What's your one thing for the Knicks?
1: We always talk about Porzingis, so I'm not going to talk about him. So it's it's Frank Nilikina. I think with him, there was an interesting discussion on Twitter the other day where someone made the point that, you know he needs to learn to attack the basket consistently, and that's 100 percent true for him to take the next step. but I, I think with Frank Nilikna, I, I would encourage anybody who's worried about his production early in the season go back and like read articles or watch video of him last season overseas and compare to where he is now, he has gotten so much better as a ball handler and his passing has improved a hell of a lot too i think i think his improvement from 18 years old to 19 years old is quite significant so yes he needs to get a lot better to become the lead guard that the knicks need but his improvement is extremely encouraging from where he was to where he is now i've,
0: I've been impressed by him he's probably the best point guard defender in the league just from like if, if for rookies or all point guards i'm trying to think there's two minutes left in the game and I need a pure point guard to at least bother Kyrie Irving, to at least stay in front of him and make him work. And if he's going to get a shot, so be it. But at least he's going to have to work his ass off to get it. Who would you pick at point guard? Hmm.
1: Maybe Chris Paul, Pat- Patrick Beverly.
0: Uh, well, Patrick Beverly's gone.
1: Yeah, he's yeah, he's gone. And now. I, I don't think um, it's Chris
0: Paul anymore. I don't, La- I don't think
1: Lowry. He- Lowry would be
0: up Mm, there I don't know man
1: I think I might pick Frankie yeah to your point he's in the conversation yeah right I mean I don't know if he's the guy you pick but he's he's up there and I think that that's another thing that says a lot about where he is where he's one of those guys where even if he doesn't get any better offensively from where he is he's at least going to be a guy in your rotation because his defense is so good
0: there's only two guys I mean I've just enjoyed the living hell out of the Kyrie experience this year and he's such a thrill to watch There's only been two guards the whole season that have really kind of made him work to get where he wanted to go. He still gets there because nobody can stop him. Frank was one. Yeah, Avery Bradley's the other one. And he's still going to get to where he wants to go, but at least those guys make him have to (laughs) reach into his bag of tricks. He's incredible. Another 17 and 16 team, the New Orleans Pelicans. You could argue that they have two all-star game starters on this team. You could argue Boogie and Davis. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the list. Harden and Durant, I think, are definitely starters, right? Yep. Westbrook is definitely a starter because Curry's hurt. Or do you think Curry mm, has that spot? I, I I think Westbrook probably ends up starting. Yeah. I don't feel good about it, but he has Westbrook has been really good the last two weeks. He's been unbelievable. Now the only other spots there's two spots for these three guys, Lamarcus Aldridge, Boogie Cousins. Anthony Davis. And I think those two New Orleans guys, I, I think those have to have to be the thing. I mean, my one thing for New Orleans is they hit the jackpot in the 2012 draft. That drop off from Anthony Davis to Michael Kidd Gilchrist is about as dramatic as it's going to get in a draft from one to two. It's It's in the top six or seven all time for biggest, <laughs> biggest gap. And then the Boogie Cousins trade, they won convincingly, repeat convincingly. And yet they're seventeen and sixteen. It's it's appalling how bad of a roster they put around those guys. It's really it's almost like impossible that they can't even get to like a a C minus with the supporting cast. And I still think if they can get in the playoffs, I do not want to play that team in a playoff series. I, we you can beat them. Golden State's going to be able to beat them. So is Houston, but. It just sucks to be in a playoff series where the other team might have two of the best guys in the court in every quarter. So I'm interested by them. I've been watching them trying to figure out what their upside is, and I can't figure it out. What do you have for your one New Orleans thing?
1: We mentioned weirdest roster in the first podcast when we were talking about Phoenix. Um, and yeah. I mentioned Sacramento. The New Orleans is another one with their weird team, and that that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind with them. Uh, just there's the roster construct with – Rondo, Etan Moore, and Drew Holiday all in the starting five. It's just a weird team with a weak bench. Uh, you mentioned their team; like they've been really good offensively. They they have the seventh best offensive rating at the time we're recording this, but they have the twenty fourth best, or rather seventh worst, defensive rating in the league. Defense is the issue for that team, and I think I think that's going to be the issue you see with a lot of teams having two defensive bigs, um, can they effectively defend the perimeter and contain penetration? Um, that's that's always going to be the question anytime you're, anytime you're going with two more interior big men in, in today's league. Not that that's the singular issue with their defense, but I think it's, it's one of the issues on that end of the floor where I'm not sure the, the solutions come from within their roster. I think they might have to come externally.
0: So a couple interesting December trends for them, which is – one of the reasons that I've been kind of monitoring them, Drew Holiday's playing really well, at least in the month of December. He's putting up a uh, 22-5-5, five and five, basically, Shoot 52%, making threes, 44% from three. Probably the best month he's had in a long time. Now, we know with Drew Holiday, never to trust Drew Holiday, that the moment it looks great, he pulls a hamstring or something bad will happen. <laughs> the other guy that has played really well for them is Etwan Moore, who... In the month of December, is making 58% of his threes, almost three a game, and scoring 16 a game. Now, do I think Etoan Moore is going to last? Uh, probably not. I don't think you do either. But on paper, they have kind of a big four for at least the month of December. And then it's like it falls off a cliff after that. They can't really make a trade because uh, they can't trade their first-round pick. Nobody wants their contracts. Maybe they could do a a money trade where they give up, you know, a couple of their bad contracts for even worse contracts. If they're really worried that Cousins is going to leave, that'd be risky. But as a team, in December, they're they're making 13.33s a game and shooting forty-five percent from three. So from an upside standpoint, I think them and OKC have been the two teams in the West that at least have kind of reconfigured the narrative a little bit. Uh, do you believe in Drew Holiday? Do you believe he plays for another six weeks healthy?
1: It's like the Gallinari discussion where can he stay healthy? Uh, I, I'm more worried about their three-point shooting and how sustainable it actually is more so than than Holiday. I mean, they're yeah. the fourth best three-point percentage of the league so far this season. I'm not quite sure that's going to stick. Mm. Guys like you mentioned, Etwan Moore shooting the hell out of the ball. Not the only guy. Darius Miller shooting 46% from three. I just don't know how sustainable that is. And that was one of the big questions before the season. Can they create enough spacing on the offensive end with Boogie and Davis having two bigs? And granted, those guys can shoot as well. I I do question how sustainable that's going to be.
0: Denver, 18 and 15. I guess my one thing for them is they had all these different chances to get a point guard, and they still don't have one. And... And and they traded their best point guard, Jameer Nelson. But Mm. it's a bummer. I I think we're at the point now with Jamal Murray where for them to have any sort of growth at all as a team, that's the growth spot, right? Jokic is playing pretty well. In general, I think most of their guys are kind of where we thought they would be. But the one growth spot is Jamal Murray. You've been chronicling him for, you know, since he was in college. Where do you stand these days? Are you buying or selling Jamal Murray?
1: I'd buy stock in the sense that you know, last month I wrote an article talking about his three point shooting, how how poor it's been. It feels like ever since then it's been like a reverse ringer curse where he's shooting fifty-two percent from three in December. And yes, again, like that's not sustainable that, that'll fall off, but he's a guy where he is a hell of a shooter. He's been a great shooter in high school, great shooter in college, great shooter in every level of competition he's played. So I think for him, it's only a matter of time until he does elevate his play on the offensive end as a shooter. And once that happens, maybe it opens things up. It gives them another another player. He's he's somebody you could you could use in that kind of Reddick-esque role off screens, but he's yeah. also a really good ball handler and he has really good passing instincts where he can run secondary pick and roll for you. He's not your lead guard, but at the same time Maybe with that type of roster, with Jokic, he's one of your primary playmakers, you don't need maybe a traditional lead guard. Maybe that's why they didn't really go out and try to get it because they do feel like with Murray, with Jokic, even Will Barton, that they have enough playmakers that they can really survive without having that go-to traditional lead ball handler. If that's what they're thinking... I totally get it, but I do think right now it certainly doesn't look great, but maybe as Murray does develop, and maybe Will Barn if he sticks around as Jokic continues getting better, maybe it works out having a multi-ball handler offense like that.
0: Their defense has been as bad as I thought it was going to be in our preseason pod. You, you were hoping it wasn't going to be that bad, but I think you kind of knew. Yeah, it's, it might it's be headed bad. that way. It's, um, it's, not, it's 18th best
1: defensive rating. Sometimes it feels like they they're a lot worse than 18th. They have um, and, yeah. And when D-ring. you watch
0: them, they have stretches where they just completely fall apart. Yeah. Where it's like, oh my god, it's a it's a layup line. I was looking at the West All Stars, which we talked about a little bit before, and and Jokic is probably the 12th bubble pick right now. I have Harden, Durant, Curry, Aldridge, Boogie, Anthony Davis, Westbrook, Lillard, Jimmy Butler, Paul George. Klay Thompson, who I always just pocket put him in. I, I think he's become too underrated. And uh and Jokic is the twelfth, but I think the twelfth could go in a variety of directions. Milwaukee's 17 and 14. I don't know what to make of this team. And I'm and to be honest. Bucks Twitter is probably the angriest Twitter of any of the 30 NBA teams. I had Ben Thompson on my podcast last week, gave him 60 seconds to talk about Jason Kidd, and he went for five. <laughs> They cannot stand Jason Kidd. They feel like he's ruining the team. They feel like they are wasting an epic, unbelievable Giannis season, which they are to some degree. But on the other hand, you look at their team and, you know, Middleton, Bledsoe, both of those guys are all, Middleton is a 20 point scorer. Bledsoe is almost a 20 point scorer. Jabari has the capability of being a 20 point scorer if his knees can get healthy. And Giannis is averaging 30. And there's just, there's pieces on this team and it's a conference that after the top three drops, I don't know. Would you, do you think this is Jason Kidd's fault?
1: Well, I'll say last week or a week and a half ago, whenever it was, Jason Kidd instructed Chris Middleton to miss the free throw when they were off three. Oh my, and I was watching told, that.
0: that. I mean, I think that says all you need to know. <laughs> there's two seconds left. Yeah. It says what all did, you need he, to know. He didn't want to give up a four point play. Then tell all you guys to yeah. go out of bounds. What are you doing? <laughs> Beats me, man. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> he wasn't What's your thinking, one thing for the Bucks? Or, I don't
1: know. It's just Giannis is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. it's kind of generic; it's obvious, but I am just wowed by him. He's pro- probably my favorite player in the league to watch right now. And he's still not shooting the ball at, like the level he potentially could be twenty seven point five percent from three. Just imagine yeah. him shooting thirty seven point five percent from three. He's unbelievable. I'm I'm happy to be alive at the same time Giannis Antetokounmpo is
0: entering his prime. I think his hands are too big. I think that ball must feel like a golf ball in his hands. He can't like redirect it. We were talking in part one, we were talking about Embiid versus Hakeem and stuff like that. You're too young to remember young Hakeem, although he lives on in YouTube. (laughs) The stuff Giannis does defensively is what young Hakeem was like. A lot of the stuff he does on that end reminds me of Hakeem and David Robinson too. Where it's just like, just a complete freak athlete who seems to be a split second ahead of everybody else on the defensive end. And you're like, holy shit. Oh my God. Oh, I mean, Giannis has turned into, he's replaced LeBron as the kind of alpha dog of the, uh, I didn't realize that guy was behind me blocks. He's, he's like, it's, it's, (laughs) there's probably the most exciting recurring play in the league is him catching somebody from behind. I'm with you. I I really hope they figure this out. And I think they have the highest upside of anyone in the East because of him. Because, you know, he can go toe-to-toe with LeBron in a seven-game series and at least like maybe play him close to a stalemate. All right. Next one, Wiz, another team with high upside. The Wiz, 19 and 15, not great. But I was on that 82games.com thing, 8 and 11 in close games. No come from behind potential, really. They've four and nine in games when they fell behind by 10. I don't know. I, I watched them yesterday, and, and it seems like when their guns are blazing, the wall and Beale combo is, still has to be taken seriously. Like the Celtics wanted to win that game on Christmas, and Wall uh, and Beale just they were down five with five minutes left, and they just took over the game, and that was that. So they kind of seem to be the sleeping giant of the East, and at the same time, their bench is so bad. And their coaching is so weird sometimes that I could also see them being the biggest disappointment in the East. Where do you, what would your bet be?
1: Um, You know, I'm, kind of in the middle on them where i'm not super high on them because of their bench but at the same time uh, i do think like you look at the development of some of their guys like Otto porter has continued to get better he sustained yep. his three-point shooting kelly Oubre has really taken a jump this year he's the guy that almost enables them to play more small ball like they did at the end of that game against the celtics the other night Oubre has been great he deflects a lot of balls in, in the passing lanes um defends multiple positions effectively hit spot-up threes. He hit that big shot towards the end of the game on Monday. I think Ubre has really developed closer into the player that you would have hoped to see this year for Washington, and he's still only 22 years old. Ubrey's turned into a two-way player coming off their bench. So granted, their bench stinks. Ubrey's a really, really good bench player to have, a guy who can finish games for you. So if they can, if they can find another bench piece, maybe they have a suddenly a much more complete-looking roster just by adding one more guy.
0: And it seems like he's bought them some time trying to figure out what to do with Markeith Morris, who hasn't been that great this year. You know, last year, they're kind of trapped with him. This year, they they can play, as you said, they can play Porter and Oubre together in crunch time and not have to worry about throwing Ubrey in that spot. I mean, don't forget, last year, I thought this was the biggest mistake of the playoffs by Brooks. He only played Oubre three minutes in that game seven, right? Something like that. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Mistake. Pretty low.
0: Mistake. Detroit is 18 and 14. The ringer has been blamed for, there's a belief out in the internets that there's a ringer (laughs) curse, that when we write about a team or a player, bad things happen to them. It's like, uh, it follows or like one of those Blumhouse production movies where (laughs) as soon as we write about somebody, the opposite happens. I, I wish we had that much power. I'd be gambling on it. But, uh, but we, we did write about Detroit right before the, uh, the wheels came off. It was a team when I was watching them, I didn't totally understand how they were playing that well. And I think the league does kind of figure out certain things about certain teams by about the 20 game mark. That's a team people have figured out. My question for them is, Van Gundy now is year three. And this is now a team that even though he's he's milked about as much as he can milk out of the, the nucleus he has, it's really not that good of a team. What do you do? And especially, it's not even a, what do you do? I think it's more like, what do you think he's going to do? Because we've seen as, especially the coach GM combo guys, they get more and more impatient the longer it goes where they don't get the results they want. And it's usually, those are the teams that make the panic trade or the big swing trade or whatever. Do you see Detroit with some sort of big blockbuster something that we're shocked by? My question would be with what? I mean, what
1: are you gonna flip? I mean, is Andre Drummond really uh, a piece that people would trade? I don't think so. Is Reggie Jackson? Probably not. Is Avery Bradley? No. Uh Stanley Johnson hasn't played himself into becoming a super valuable a- asset and Luke Kennard hasn't yet either. So their first round picks aren't super valuable enough. I don't know I don't know where the solutions are. I, I think if you're Detroit, you're gonna get locked into your roster this coming summer. Assuming you re sign Avery Bradley to anything, you know, even if it's 15 million, that's probably on the low end, uh, even if it's like that, you're locking yourself pretty much into the roster that you have until the 2019 summer when Tobias Harris is up and some other guys are up as well. They're in a weird spot where there's not a lot that they can do. I think they almost just need to bank on some of these young guys, Stanley Johnson, Luke Kennard, really developing and getting better. Unless that doesn't happen, though, I, I, I'm not sure where the solutions
0: are. There's not a lot of roads to take. Well, I'm with you. The only blockbuster move would be if if Drummond was in something and I, I can't even figure out what that would be. I do think they're a panic trade waiting to happen. And if I was a GM on another team, I would be trying to take Stanley Johnson from them. Because especially this month, he was playing well as a defense kind of rebounding athlete guy when they were playing well. And people have been giving him the Robertson treatment. He is in the month of December shooting 33%. from three, which you just, now you're playing four and five, can't put him out there in crunch time and expect anything good to happen. And on the other side, he's 21 years old, you know, and he has the pedigree of being a top eight lottery pick. And if we've seen over and over again in NBA history, the best trades to make are grabbing somebody else's top eight, high pedigree, A-list lottery talent that it just didn't work out for, for whatever reason. You do a little change of scenery and all of a sudden the guy's fine. I'll be interested to see if, if somebody can pry him away for some immediate help, because the other thing is Avery Bradley, who has not shot that well and has had moments for them, but I don't think has been as effective for them as he was for Boston last year. He's an expiring contract. So they could also go the other way and use his expiring contract with another contract to try to shed some salary. But I don't know. They're kind of in no man's land. Would you try to trade for Stanley Johnson if you're a GM on a lottery team? Yeah, Stanley
1: Johnson, another one. Him and Winslow. If I'm totally candid, the only reason I left those two guys off is because I feel like I've written about those two dudes so much where it would almost be repetitive. So I put on some, some new, yeah. new faces uh, for the article. Stanley Johnson and Justice Winslow, those are two guys I've loved a lot since college. I wouldn't give up on either of them. Similar mold, similar defensive first players with developing offensive games. I like Winslow more, but Stanley's another one where he
0: could be really good as well. Both really good athletes. That the thing I like about Johnson is he'll go into traffic and get big ass rebounds. You know, he just can't shoot yet. I I, I don't know. It's, it just seems like we can teach almost anybody to shoot except Andre Roberson these days. Quick break to talk about Masterclass. Masterclass has a range of online video courses taught by some of the best individuals in their field like Samuel L. Jackson on acting or Wolfgang Puck teaching you to cook. There's even a Stephen Curry Masterclass where you can learn perfect shooting mechanics, footwork, scoring techniques. He'll break down specific drills that'll make you a better ball handler and even analyze some NBA game footage to improve your basketball IQ. If it's not Stefan's class, choose from 30 other masters across a wide range of fields such as writing, cooking, film, acting, and many more. All beautifully produced, carefully curated. Masterclass gives you access to the best at their craft so that you can master yours. Check out the all-access pass. You can unlock every class from over 30 masters, all for the price of two. NBA listeners, get Stefan's Masterclass or the all Access class at masterclass.com slash NBA. Learn from the best in the world at masterclass.com slash NBA. OKC, okay, so 19 and 15. It, you know, they just have a lot. They have Westbrook and Paul George are really, really good. And they have to be taken seriously. And it seems like they've figured out. The, my one thing for them is they've now figured out that it's not a big three. It's Westbrook's team, and Paul George is his wingman, and Carmelo is one of the other guys. And it took them 30 games to get there, but they got there. And that this is the team they are. And the more Westbrook takes control like he has, the better off they're going to be. Trying to split everything evenly between the three guys was a mistake, and I think they realize that now. What's your one thing?
1: What's well, kind of one and two. I think for one, their defense is for real. Uh, I think, you know, considering the fact that we are almost into January now, they have so many guys on that end of the floor who can defend one-on-one, who play strong team defense, who play with effort. I think that defense is absolutely for real. And kind of attached to that thought, if, if you do consider that their defense is for real, and it is versatile, and can do so much on that end, if their offense continues making progress... Like it has this past week ish. You know, Westbrook has really elevated his play, um, both in terms of scoring efficiency, making smart passes, good decisions, playing with more effort himself on the defensive end. What can they be? Like, they can be, they could be tremendous by April if their offense continues building and continues making more and more progress um, because their defense is their foundation and because that does allow them to i think stay in games Uh, if their offense gets on the level that you need they could be a real threat i mean people are talking about houston as a team maybe they can topple golden state maybe by april people are talking about oklahoma city as well could they be a threat to golden state because nobody's really talking about that at the moment but by April, we'll see. Uh, they've made some nice progress these last 10 days or so.
0: I realized yesterday during the Christmas game, and I, I agree with what you said, by the way, and their defense should be good because they have Paul George and Steven Adams and Robertson if they're going to play them. But I realized yesterday watching them against Houston, that's kind of a nightmare matchup for Houston. Assuming OKC can get their shit together 100% by, by May because they have two dudes to throw at Harden who are have to be two of the five best possible dudes to throw at him, right? Paul George and Roberson. Yeah. So Roberson and Roberson, what did we decide? What's the latest? Roberson. Robertson. Robertson. I, I just want to call him Roberson over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> but they have two awesome guys to throw at him. And then on the other side, Westbrook's always been a problem for Chris Paul, always. And this was when Chris Paul was a good athlete. Isaac, you know. Did Chris Paul like guarding? Uh, he did not like it. He was all right at it. Didn't love it, though. Didn't love it. Yeah. Never loved it's it. It's hard. It's like riding a bull. Preferred uh, yelling at his teammates. Yeah. Isaac's bitter clipper fan. Isaac. But um, it is kind of, I don't know. If they caught Houston in the right series, I think uh, that wouldn't be ideal. I, I do think the most important thing is that they figured out that Carmelo just isn't the Carmelo from 2013. Once they realized that, they were in a better spot. Indiana's 19 and 14. Old Depot. Oh, I mean- Unbelievable. You could argue he should be... I I know we're not doing the conventional All-Star game anymore, but you could argue he's the starting two-guard in the All-Star game. It's him or DeRozan. Who would you pick? Oladipo. I think I would, too. By a hair. By a hair. I think he's better defensively.
1: Yeah, that's the edge on the defensive end.
0: So that's been great. That's a win. We all have to keep apologizing to Kevin Pritchard. That trade was awesome. And (laughs) I'll be interested to see if they make one more move to, to... become a little bit more dangerous come playoff time. What's your one thing for them?
1: Besides Oladipo and his development, Sabonis as well. We talked about this on, I think your podcast a couple of weeks ago, Sabonis yeah. in a new situation, new circumstances, not spotting up as much, um, playing more from the high post. Sabonis has, has taken strides in his game as well. So that that's a testament to both him, his abilities and the coaching staff, putting a, him, him in a position to succeed.
0: Minnesota 21 and 13. We talked about them uh, when you were around with my dad a couple weeks ago, so we don't need to go into the whole towns thing. I'm still, still, uh, I'm sorting out my thoughts on towns, but they're not positive. Tibbs, I just, I don't, I, I feel betrayed. I feel betrayed by how weird their offense is and the decisions they make and how unhappy the team seems. Everyone's talked about the crazy minutes they played. It took them a, a long time to figure out that Butler was kind of Jimmy Butler, that maybe he should be more involved in stuff but it's a team that has the wrong vibe to them. Even when they win, I don't feel good about what I'm watching and I don't know what to make of them, but they have all the makings of a classic, you know, people thinking they're a threat come playoff time and they just get waxed would be my takeaway on them. What do, what's your one thing?
1: I would say overall it's that I do think their minutes are an issue and they definitely will be an issue moving forward. But I do want to see them with a fully healthy roster with uh, B. jelly came back last night and only played six minutes. But as he gets integrated more into the team, he was really good early in the season, shooting the ball for them, spacing the floor offensively. I do worry about, you know, the frequency that they post up. Uh, if they don't lead the league and post up frequency, they're top four or five or six or something along those lines. Um, I do think that could become problematic in the playoffs. But at the same time, I do want to see how this team evolves over the course of the season. It's like with, like I said, with Oklahoma city, I want to see how this team develops because they do have a new look roster still. Um, So I'm intrigued, but I'm also uh, a little bit concerned as well.
0: They did a subtle recalibration. I'm looking this up right now The December splits. Oh yeah. That confirms it. Butler in December is averaging a 26, six and five. Andrew Wiggins in December, fifteen points a game. And by the way, not shooting well either. He's twenty six percent from three. That contract is still lurking as as a potential disaster. But uh but basically they recalibrated and, they, and now it's a butler and towns team. Everybody else is a fringe guy or you know, supporting player, which is little, not dissimilar to what OKC did with Carmelo. I think I think they realize now that, the, especially in the last five minutes, that Butler needs to be more involved than anybody else. And Towns also needs to be involved. And Andrew Wiggins, you're over there. So we'll see how that goes. But mm-hmm. uh, it's tough when you, what do they give Wiggins? How much money?
1: Max. They got the max deal. But like, what was He's it? One, f- 150? I believe 150. I'll pull it open <sighs> right now. But I, I, did, I didn't, I
0: didn't, not a fan of that contract. I'll tell you that much.
1: It's calculated risk, though.
0: San Antonio Spurs 23 and 11. I mean they they're just playing possum as always. I the big takeaway for me is just how much fun it's been to watch Aldridge be Aldridge again and get the ball in the right spots and overpower people and just do his thing. It's it seemed like he was a guy who was on the other side of the mountain and now clearly they've fixed it and Popovich has even admitted that he screwed it up. So um it's good to have a really good basketball player back in the league. What's yours? It's all these new faces, you know, a lot,
1: lot of names people might not recognize if they don't watch the the Spurs that are contributing off their bench. Dejounte Murray, Bertans, Brandon Paul, Forbes, a lot of new faces or kind of uh, guys getting new opportunities with San Antonio, and they continue clicking. It's it's remarkable. I, I think Minor Ginobili tweeted a couple of weeks back or earlier this month how. Without Kawhi Leonard, without their best player, they had a win percentage still over 70%. It's just remarkable how they continue to have success um, with all these guys that the casual fan has no idea who they are. Uh, That Mm. just continues to fascinate me.
0: I forgot to tell you one stat with the 82 games thing that I was looking at. It's got the uh, 10-point lead frequency, so games you play in that you're up by 10 points at some point in the game. Golden State was 90%. This one shocked me. Toronto, I know Toronto's playing well, so it shouldn't have shocked me, but Toronto, 80% of their games, they have a 10 point lead or more. And Hmm. I can't really figure it out because when you watch them, they're all on the, I I guess I'm jumping ahead to Toronto, but when you watch them, they're all on the same page, they're doing great. But then you look at the stats and it's like Lowry's not having nearly as good of a year as he was last year. They don't really have a, a guaranteed third score. It's a lot of bench guys and a lot of by committee stuff. And yet it's whatever, the mix is working. Ibaka has been playing pretty well, especially this month. But it's just funny to me. Some teams, San Antonio is another one where it's just the eye test of watching all the pieces together is so much different than just looking at the stats and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. But San Antonio, man, the infrastructure always wins. Cleveland, 24 and 10, fifth best record in the league. I was trying to figure out if LeBron was having the best season he's ever had first of all, his numbers are ridiculous. He is shooting better than 40% from three, but he's also shooting better than 60% from two. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how many times that's happened. And it's happened a few times over the course of NBA history, but never by anyone who averaged more than 15 points a game. So it's been like the Steve Kerr types, but- he's averaging like 29 a game in doing it and nobody else ever in the history of the league was averaging better than like 14.5 points a game. It was like Chris Mullen in 1997 and a couple other ones. So I was thinking like the 40, 60 club should be a club. If you're 40% from three and 60% from two and you're averaging more than 10 points a game, that that's like an achievement. And uh, it's one of the many incredible things for him. But with Cleveland though, I don't think it's worth talking about them until Isaiah comes back and we see what that looks like. It's, you know, there's the team they have now and then that team is going to be a completely different thing. What's your one thing for them?
1: The one thing is related to Monday's Christmas game against the the Warriors. I thought they were doing some interesting stuff when they were posting out LeBron James. Usually on like after switching on a pick and roll, they would post him up against McCaw or somebody yeah. else smaller and they were they were setting weak-side screens for uh, I think Corver set one for Crowder, and I believe Crowder set one for Kevin Love. That resulted in open three pointer opportunities, and that type of little subtle off ball movement is perhaps the type of stuff that they're going to have to do to maybe beat that team down the line uh, if they meet again in the finals. Um, but that that was just intriguing. Uh, I just seeing that little wrinkle just stuck out to me rather than just playing typical ISO ball with LeBron just. Attacking macaw, they were doing stuff on the weak side to create more action that was actually happening on the play. Aside from LeBron potentially being able to score, uh, so that that was interesting to see.
0: If I'm playing Cleveland, I'm I'm dying for them not to post up LeBron. That's that's my biggest fear. With like when the Celtics play them and that they have a game coming up against them, when they post LeBron up, I I I don't know how to stop it. And it was it's funny because ten years ago and eight years ago and six years ago, this is what we complained about about LeBron. If you remember. Oh, it's a good post. When is he going to add a post? up? it Now it's like he goes down there and he's just ridiculous. He's dominant. And it's something they always know they have. I think when we get to the playoffs, we'll see more of it. But he's really mastered what to do down there in ways that I think we had uh, always wondered what would that look like 10 years ago. Celtics, 27 and 10. I'm not panicking as a Celts fan from what we've seen the last two weeks because I, I think the schedule has just destroyed them. The London game, I think they played 14 games in 23 days. And Stevens has really been trying to be careful with the minutes. And it's led to some bad habits, especially because they can't ever really play Kyrie 40 minutes in a game because they're trying to save him. They don't want to burn him out. And just in general, I I think yesterday you could really see, they looked tired to me. Like they just couldn't get stops. That was all season, that type of game. They're up five with four minutes left. They finished the game. And that was the first time where I really felt like they had kind of lost their legs. And I think now it's now that that London game is becoming like a finish line of sorts. Just get to that game, get through it. And then the schedule gets really easy after that and has a lot more breaks. So I think they're better than they've played the last two weeks. What's your one thing?
1: It's Tatum. I think they need to feed him more and more and more. Yeah, uh, I, I don't see I don't see any reason for Jalen Brown to be getting two more shots per game than Tatum. Tatum's just on another level as a scorer already in his rookie season. I think you know Gordon Hayward being out obviously is a, is a negative. Obviously, that goes without saying, but it does open the opportunity for you to create chances for Tatum to become the guy a little bit sooner uh, next to Kyrie Irving. Uh, I think we said this on on the part one of the podcast with Kuzma, where you want to see more and more from Kuzma. It's the same thing with Tatum. Just feed him, feed him, create opportunities for him and see what he can become. I don't know. Maybe he won't be ready for it, but I think it would be nice to see the higher workload for him.
0: So he's basically averaging in December the same amount of shots as Marcus Smart. 9.1 to 8.6. Jalen Brown is even averaging an extra shot over him. I said this on Twitter last week. I I got really frustrated during one of those losses last week because we've reached a point of the season where it's just, he should be shooting more than nine times. He's a 50-50 guy from 2.3 point. So (laughs) it just makes sense that you shoot more, but then you watch him and sometimes he's just happy standing in the corner and he doesn't want to get the ball. And He's just perfectly fine not being in the play. And, and I think it's because he's 19 and he's a rookie and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't totally know what to do yet. But we've reached a point where they just have to run shit through him. I'm with you. I, you know, I agree with this. I, I think the whole second unit should revolve around him and running stuff through him and every time and just let him get better at it. Let him get better at creating. There's got to be, Stevens is too smart. There's got to be some reason they're not playing it that way that we're not seeing. We have three teams left. Toronto, you know, they doubled down on the team they already had that nobody really loved that much. They paid Abaka. they paid Lowry a contract that I actually looked up last night and my eyes started to bleed. He's making like thirty million dollars a year this year, next year, <laughs> and the year after, and all of it looks smart now. And they nailed, they nailed the OG pick. He's already a rotation guy. They look good, and yet I, I have my one thing for them is. I don't feel like it's any different for them. I think they're going to play Cleveland at some point, and Cleveland's going to beat them. What's your one thing? I just think the
1: coaches, the players on that roster deserve a lot of credit for just really adapting to a new system. I think Lowry and DeRozan really have slowly taken to the increased ball movement on that team. Yeah, Dwayne Casey deserves credit for installing that. It could be the same end result. As you said, it could end up that Cleveland just squashes them again in the playoffs, but the process is going to be a lot different on the way there. And I think that hopefully, you know, for that team by April, they are totally clicking with this new system because it's still only December. Uh, You know, we're not even in January yet. I think that team still has more upside. And I think as OG continues to develop for that team on the offensive end, hopefully for them that they can develop into a a greater offensive threat than they already are.
0: We've had three semi-dominant teams this year. We're at like the 33, 34 game mark. The Warriors, the Rockets, and the Raptors. All of them, you know, nine point differential or above. All of them, a lot of blowouts, stuff like that. The Celtics have been the fourth best team. But as you know, it's 27 and 10, but really could have been 22 and 17 or 22 and 15, whatever. Kyrie has, and Crunch Time and Stevens, they've, they've stolen some games. Toronto has not had to steal a lot of games. Like They've been working teams. And uh, if we've learned anything about the NBA, it's this. Don't judge the NBA by the first 35 games. This is the February, mm-hmm. March, April stretch is when we, you find out what you have.
1: That 16-game winning streak by Boston kind of warp expectations. They're they're really like a 47-win pace team. That's the way we got to think of them going forward.
0: And they should be because they lost their $30 million small forward five minutes exactly. into the season. But yeah. coaching, defense, and Kyrie can make a 47 win team look like a 54 win team, you know? But I I think the combo of that and the schedule, they're definitely, the regression is not, not shocking. I still love watching them. Houston 25 and seven, 115.1 points per game and not a ton of Chris Paul, right? This is, Mm -hmm. this is a team when they have everybody could be a threat to go 122 points a game or something in a month. And also a threat to put up 150 in any night. I think. I think the Warriors and the Rockets, both of them. My one thing for them is, I still, I still really like Eric Gordon. The stats don't 100 percent back it up, but i I do think he's a go to war with them guy that they have. And Anderson looks better than he has. But like when they have Harden and Paul and Eric Gordon and Ariza and Capella in crunch time, I just like that team. I I think that's, I think that's a team that you can kind of go to war with. like Capella, who I think is bulked up a little bit and in general has just been better. Harden has been, he has a chance to average 33 points a game, which is at a rarefied NBA year. You're talking like 10 guys ever in the history of the league at that point, maybe less. But I've really started to talk myself into them going toe-to-toe with the Warriors. I don't think they'll beat them, but they could go toe-to-toe. And the math might win out, and they might just have the two games where they make a ton of threes, and Harden wins a game, and all of a sudden it's a game seven. I am much more bullish on them than I was a month ago. What's your one thing for them?
1: I'm worried about their health. That's that's the thing that comes to mind for me. I mean, I'm not panicking at all. This three-game losing streak, they didn't have Capella for two of the games. Paul missed two and didn't finish the other. Uh, no Luke Mbamute. But what's worrisome is with the injury is the amount of minutes some of these guys are playing. Ariza's averaging 43 minutes per game That's since mute went out. Harden's yeah. at 37 over the same time frame. It's like, you got to get these guys' minutes down to what they were when the roster was healthy. Harden was around 34, 35 when Paul was active. Um, Ariza was around the same range, which is still kind of high, but it's it's not extreme. Um uh, These guys playing 40 minutes each night, that's what could put you into the situation last year where Harden was just exhausted by the end of the season. Where You're running with an eight-man rotation yesterday on Christmas in a big game against Oklahoma City. I get it. But in some of these games moving forward, maybe you just go with some of these young guys, some of your deeper bench guys. Even if it doesn't feel good to do it, maybe you just have to. Maybe you just have to at this point point in the season put uh, Joe Chi out there or Demetrius Jackson or Bobby Brown. Just – Give those younger guys minutes for the sake of saving the guys' health and conditioning for later in the season when you actually need it.
0: We talked about this on Ringer NBA show last week. It's something that I think uh, Popovich is the best at. But just throwing guys out there and and playing the math of the season. Just being like, I'm going to need certain guys, certain nights. Maybe you even see Stevens do this a little bit. Like he'll throw Yavaselli out there one game and Abdul Nader. And he'll just try things. And I agree with you. I think Houston could be a little more creative with that stuff. Last team, Golden State. Twenty-seven and seven. I'm going to give you sixty-seven and a half as their over/under. Are they over or under?
1: Hmm. What's their win percentage right
0: now? Twenty-seven and seven, seven ninety-four win percentage.
1: Okay. Um, I'll go slight under, slight under because of the health. You know, I mean, we don't know when Curry's going to come back. Uh, going to go with the slight under for them. How about you?
0: Over. Over. I think they have a yeah. I think they have a win streak in them. My one thing for them is Durant's defense, I think has been, it's something he's shown flashes of. And I think in the 2016 playoffs with the OKC and then last year, especially, you saw it. This year, he's really taken pride in it and he's become a rim protector. I mean, people have been writing about this. It's not like I'm coming up with this point, but I just didn't think he had it in him. And you think about the 10-year journey that he's had from being this six foot 11, 200 pound shooting guard for PJ Carlissimo, who is just out of position all the time to this guy who can really go at LeBron at the end of games and guard him really like nobody else other than maybe Giannis. And just in general, just every quarter seems to take pride in it and will get chased down blocks. And I think as a two-way player, it's been cool to watch him grow. Cause I, I you know, I'd have to do the list and figure out if he's top 20, top 25, top 18 all time. I don't know what, I don't know where he ranks, but I think as a two way player, as a forward, he's way, way up there. And he's probably a little, he, him versus Dirk, Dirk's ceiling versus KD's ceiling. I think the difference is Durant, his ability to make an impact on the defensive end. I, Dirk could never really do what Durant's doing. So that was my one thing. What's your one thing for them?
1: Uh, to your point you know durant's development on defense has just been remarkable i mean he's a guy who should at least be in the defensive player of the year conversation Um, yeah my one takeaway is this was kind of apparent during monday's game on with the shooting the ball they were 10 of 37 shooting three durant and clay thompson were combined seven for 16 everybody else was three for 21 this is almost a little bit of a trend for them where without steph on that roster, they don't they don't have a lot of shooting, which is kind of weird to say considering yeah. how potent of a team they are. But nobody's really worried about Draymond Green from three. Um, McCaw's not shooting the ball that well. Iguodala's in a real slump right now. Livingston obviously is a non shooter. Nick Young and Caspi. Or the really guys off that bench who shoot the three well, and who knows how much they're actually gonna play when it comes to the playoffs. So they have their big three, sh- you know, on the offensive end with Curry, Durant, and Thompson. But other than that, this team doesn't have a lot of shooting. So I wonder if they're a team that low key should be targeting a shooter towards the trade deadline um, or if maybe you just bank on an Iguodala getting back to what he was last season you're banking on Draymond Green getting hot in the playoffs McCaw I think is a better shooter than he shot so maybe it's just the improvement comes internally but right now they don't have a lot of shooting without Steph
0: and that's been a little bit weird to watch Draymond's three-point shooting I, I actually looked this up and, and I just clicked on it again He's basically been between 30% and 33% his entire career, except for 2015-16, he shot 39%, but never more than like one a game, like 1.2, something that range. But when you watch the Warriors, he's always open. The teams are dying for him to take that 25-footer, right? And in the playoffs, his numbers went up. So in 2015, he was 26% from three. But then in sixteen he was thirty seven percent, and then last year is forty one percent, making two a game. I think this year, more than any other year, teams are just going to be laying five feet off him. They're going to try to Jedi mind trick him and bully him into taking those. Yeah, and because he's such an alpha dog, he's going to want to, right? Like, how dare yeah. you leave me open? I'm Draymond Green, but <laughs> and he's probably going to make them. Yeah, and he'll probably make them, or he'll probably work at them for a long time. But uh, but I do think that is the the kryptonite for them is team's just leaving him and Iguodala open because the alternative is Durant and Curry and Clay. And just more than ever this year, I think the teams are just going to try to take out those three. I really want to see everybody healthy at the same time, which we haven't. You know, First month of the season, they just seemed out of shape. And then Durant played himself into shape and Draymond did to a certain degree, but then Curry got hurt. I still think the ceiling of this team, especially with the bench they have and how well West is playing and just how well, how long they've played together and how well they know each other. There's a 17-game winning streak where they win every game by 20 points a game or something crazy. I still feel like that's in this team. I, I'll i just be curious to see if they can stay healthy for long enough for it to happen. So uh, I would go over on 67 and a half. Well, KOC, we did it. Two parts. That's fun. Two hours. I right, Bad news, though. Isaac went in a coma about 20 minutes ago. We were talking about... <laughs> The clippers and the, I don't know what happened, but he just he they he just blacked out. So I don't know if we're gonna be able to post this. But uh happy holidays. We will you're back next week with Verno, right? Tuesday? Yes, I believe okay. so. Yep. Cool. And then we'll see you in LA in mid-January. Yes. Can't wait. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Bill. That was fun. Don't forget about uh SeatGeek. Go to uh SeatGeek Geek first timers, twenty dollars off NBA tickets. Check out the BS podcast, uh two more this week. And when does group chat come back, Isaac? Next Thursday. Next Thursday. So that's it for Ringer NBA show content this week. Everyone's away. Sorry. Back later.